0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2 is where we are going to be. We've been in a series, we started a couple of weeks ago, Chris was kind enough to, to kick us off, and he's done the first two messages, and we're in first, or 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, and as you're turning there, let me begin this way, imagine you've been attending a church for years now. And, and for a while, you've noticed that there's some division among the leadership. And they seem to disagree on certain doctrines, especially pertaining to Jesus. They both use the Bible, and, and both these groups sound very persuasive. But one group seems to deny that Jesus Christ is the true Son of God. They deny His deity, His very divinity. And while you're pretty sure that they're wrong... They do come across persuasive. They do come across very, uh, they use the Bible, and in fact, they even seem a little more eloquent than the other group. And then all of a sudden, one day, 40 to 50 people, as you're gathering together, stand up, and and they begin to leave, and they're following the leader that has denied Jesus. And these are people um, that you know, they're your friends, They're your family members. You've prayed with them. They've prayed with you. You've been in their houses. They've been in your houses. You've done meals together. You've done games together. And as they leave, one of them turns to you and says, aren't you coming? And you say no, but yet you're confused. And as you gather with the church that week and over the next few weeks, you feel as though you've been punched in the stomach. And there's this underlying thought we did the right thing, right? Jesus is the true Son of God, right? We are believing the right truth, right? But how do we know? How do we know we believe the right thing? How do we have assurance of our salvation and this is a situation that John is writing to here in this letter. He wants them to have assurance of their salvation, have many people has just left the church. And so that's what we're addressing today in our text specifically. And so what I'm going to do is ask you to stand. We stand when we read God's word here. We do so as a means of honoring God. We believe his word comes to us with full inspiration and authority. So chapter 2, verse 18. Children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we come to you now. In the name of your Son, the one who has appeared to us in the flesh, we come to you. And we know that you are a great and holy God. You are faithful and steadfast in your love. And we thank you for the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. And now we ask you that through the power of your Spirit, fill us with all knowledge and truth as we study your word. Confirm the truth of your word today in our hearts. Help us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and may we treasure him all the more because of your word. Amen. You all may be seated. So in our text, John is going to encourage this church. They've seen many people leave. They're shaken. They're disturbed. They're looking for answers. They want to know they're on the right track. And so John is going to give them three words of encouragement. Antichrist, anointed, and abiding. Those are the three words. And so we're going to make our way through. Number one, Antichrist. They are the sign of the times we live in. If you look at verse 18, notice, twice John says, It is the last hour. Now, 2,000 years ago, John writes this and says, We're in the last hour. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, we read things like, We're in the last hour, we're in the last days. It refers to the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And so just as John was writing to a church in the last hour, we are in the last hour. We are waiting for the return of Christ, where we'll enter into his kingdom, into the new heavens and new earth. And what John wants us to know is that in this last hour, in these last days, that there will be many many antichrists. Antichrists are those who oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, we see that there'll be people who oppose the gospel. In Matthew 24, 11, Jesus is teaching, and he says, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. In Acts chapter 20, Paul goes to the Ephesian elders. It's his last time to be with them, and he says, I know that after my departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And notice where these false teachers, notice where these antichrists come. Verse 19, John says, They went out from us. They came from within the church. We've said it before, we'll say it again. The greatest danger for the church is, is not what's in the world, but that which is in the church. That's where all the greatest problems and dangers come from. And so John wants us to see three things about these Antichrists. Number one, they deny that Jesus is God. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Antichrists are those who deny that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I hope you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name. Like, I hope you know that. Like, it's not like Nick Jackson, Jesus Christ. That's not His last name. The word Christ means anointed. In Hebrew, it would be the Messiah. And so, it, it's His title. He's the anointed one who has come. He is the Son of God. He is the God-man And so Antichrist will deny the very divinity of Jesus Christ. And we see this all over. Many religions do this. Mormons do this. They believe that Jesus is the first created man. Islam does this. They believe that Jesus was a great prophet, but he was no God. Many, many, many religions will outright deny the very deity of Jesus Christ. And in verse 23, we see to deny Jesus is to deny the Father, we have no access to the Father except through Jesus. This is why Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but what? But through, but through me, through Jesus. There's no other way to get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. The litmus test to someone's salvation is do they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, many people will believe in a Jesus, but not every Jesus saves. You know that, right? Only one Jesus saves. The one who is the Son of God, the one who left heaven, was born of a virgin, lived 30 plus years here on earth, was eventually arrested, beaten, whipped, and ultimately crucified. And this all happened not because of any sin that he had of himself he came to die so that he would take our sin he'd be punished with the punishment we should have received he received the wrath that we should have taken so that we who believe in him would would receive forgiveness and we'd have peace with god amen indeed That's the gospel this is the jesus who saves jesus christ the son of god this is what herman Bavnik said theologian christ is christianity itself he stands not outside of it but in its center without his name person and work there is no christianity left In a word christ does not point out the way to salvation he is the way itself we live in a day there's many alternative religions and many of them directly deny the deity of jesus christ we ought to call them what they are antichrist we don't need to be politically correct we need to be theologically correct we need to help shepherd those around us our children and let them know clearly what the word of god says and what do these antichrists do they try to deceive believers look at verse 26 antichrists are on a mission they come to deceive and they don't wear name tags antichrist would be very helpful but they don't do that they often are very good with church lingo they they usually know the bible fairly well in fact they usually have really neat fresh interpretations that sound almost right when i was in michigan there was a pastor who was north of us uh, named rob bell many of you probably have heard of him he led a very large church Uh, people love to hear him talk but the more he talked the more we noticed something just didn't smell right about what he said and soon he began to outright deny certain doctrines he even wrote a book where he used this illustration he said imagine that christianity all imagine all the doctrines of christianity are bricks and together they make a gigantic brick wall okay i'm tracking and he says now imagine we just take a brick out The wall will still stand. It's okay if we remove a doctrine. Now, to people who hear, well, aren't we supposed to be loving and we don't want to be divisive? We don't want to be judgmental? Well, maybe that's right. And so he says, so what happens if we take out the doctrine of the virgin birth? We're not going to really lose anything. The wall of Christianity will still stand. So what do we lose if we remove the doctrine of the virgin birth? What do we lose? Think about it. It's kind of big. We lose Jesus. Right? Like you remove the virgin birth. You remove the very means in which Jesus has come into this earth. So we have no Jesus at that moment. It is not a brick wall where it's okay to take one or two doctrines out. And so what happens is eventually Rob Bell will leave the church where he left a giant wake of destruction. He now hangs out with Oprah a lot, and you can see him a lot on YouTube and the things that he says. He now worships God or whatever it is that he believes a higher power. He worships him in creation on the beach and doing whatever it is that he wants to do. Antichrists were alive 2,000 years ago, and they're very much alive today, and they're on a mission to deceive. And they will use fancy words, they will use great cliches, they will, they will be in the Word, and what they're doing is they're setting a trap, and they're inviting you to come stand within the trap, that it will close upon you, destroy you, with the hopes of dragging you into hell. It is the mission of the Antichrist. Next, we see they will always depart from the church. Water and oil does not mix together, neither does true teaching and false teaching. Antichrist will always depart from the church. We see Rob Bell, eventually he moves away from the church. As John writes this, we see in verse 19, they went out that it might become plain that they are all are not of us. In time, the Antichrist reveal their true colors by departing the church. And so just think about this though. If the going out of the Antichrist reveals their lies and false gospel the flip side would also be true, wouldn't it? Our perseverance within the church reveals our faith in the true gospel. So let us gather. Let us gather regularly, not for the sake of attendance rewards and stickers, which I know our kids love, but let us do so for the sake of our salvation as we come regularly encouraging one another in the truth of God's word said this many times, sin will always seek to pull you away from God and his people. It will always do that. Let us not forsake the gathering of the church. It is one of the very means in which we grow in our salvation with God. And so John has informed the church that the presence of these antichrists, it's a sign of the times. They should not be discouraged. They should not be dismayed because this is a reality in which we live in. And so as this reality may happen around us while we see in churches or may even be a time where we see something in this church, we need not be shaken because we know that it's something that we read about that happens in the last hour. But how do we resist the siren call of the words of the Antichrist? So we know it's going to happen and it's going to happen around us. How do we resist the message? Come to the next word, anointing. We have been anointed with the Spirit that we would know all truth. Most likely, the Antichrist were coming to the church and they were saying, look, we have this special knowledge. We have this anointing that God has given us. You need to come to us so we can give you this special truth that we have. And so John responds and says, no, that's not true. They don't have an anointing. We have an anointing. Every believer in Jesus Christ has received the Spirit of God, has been anointed by the Spirit. Verse 20, every believer has the Spirit of God from the Holy One. Well, the Holy One is Jesus Christ. Upon believing in Jesus Christ, every believer is given the gift of the Spirit. If you're here today and you've believed in Jesus Christ, you have the indwelling power of the Spirit within you. And when I say power, I don't mean it's just a power, but it is a person. It is the third person of the Trinity who now dwells within you, empowering you, strengthening you to live the very Christian life. And what does the Spirit do? Verse 20, he gives us all knowledge. Verse 21 enables us to know the truth. Verse 27 teaches us everything that is true. I encourage you, I have these texts and they're on uh, your outline, but I'm just going to reference them Uh, in John 14, John 15, John 16. I encourage you, look at those texts later. And notice what they say that the Spirit has come to do. He always reveals truth, and He always will glorify the Son and the Father. Amen. Amen indeed. He always will reveal truth. In fact, He is called the very Spirit of truth. He moves us to the truth of the Son, Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, go and look at those texts. But we need to know this. The Spirit is given by jesus to indwell believers and his purpose is to guide us in all truth what truth well if the antichrist are to lead us away from the very deity of jesus christ and once we deny who jesus is we deny the father and if that's the spirit of the antichrist well the the spirit of christ is going to then do the opposite he's going to lead us into the very truth of jesus christ that we'd be full of confidence that Jesus is the true Son of God. The Spirit always works to reveal the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the true Son of God. That's why in verse 27, John says, we don't need teachers. Now John isn't saying we don't need people to teach us. This is where we have to be careful. We can often uh, come to very wrong understanding. We know that Paul also inspired by the Spirit, has said that the church has been given positions like elders and teachers. And we know there's deacons within the church to help serve. And John, right now, in this church, what is he doing? He's instructing the church. He's teaching the church. So when he says it's not, we have the Spirit, so we don't need teachers, it's not that that preaching is now unnecessary, that we don't need Sunday school and junior church or anything like that. But rather, we do not need people like the antichrist with special knowledge and unique revelation to come give us new information we do not need that because the spirit leads us into the truth and the spirit will always work in, a, in the life of a believer he's working in you if you have the spirit within you he's working in you that you would know jesus is the son of god who died on the cross for our sins and so how does that work how does the Spirit give us all knowledge? How does the Spirit lead us in truth? Well, that's the last word, abide. So we have Antichrist, times of the age, anointing. We've all been given the Spirit. Abide. And we must abide in the Word and Christ. That the, fa- the fact that the Spirit is given to us, that we would know all truth, does not mean we sit back and we do nothing. Rather, we're to be full of confidence that we can know the truth look at verse 24 let what you heard this is a command let what you heard from the beginning abide in you well what did they hear from the beginning the gospel of jesus christ the very word of god from the apostles we come to faith as the spirit works through the word faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of god romans 10 17 right faith comes from through the Word. Why? Because the Spirit works through the Word that we would know the truth of Jesus. And we persevere in the faith and stand firm as the Spirit continues to work through that Word. So the beginning of our life in Christ begins because the Spirit works through the Word, and our life continues as the Spirit works through the Word, confirming the truth of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is why John tells them to have God's Word abides in them in fact he uses the word abide six times in verses 24 through 28 it means to remain to stay verse 24 we see that god's word is to abide in us the way the spirit gives us the truth of jesus christ is through his word so what does this look like well it's not putting our bibles on our heads or on our pillows and hoping for osmosis and it sounds silly, but it's actually how many professing Christians seem to act. Many people have their Bibles and they operate as wonderful paperweights, as wonderful items of decor in their room, and they don't necessarily use them as the daily bread given to us for the purpose of nourishing our soul. Hear this. We grow in truth by reading the Word and trusting the Spirit of will give us understanding. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Evidence of our salvation is the word abiding in us. And because this word abides in us, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's as we read the word that we experience the truth and the freedom of the gospel. And now I imagine there's some of you going, yes, read the Bible, great another application that i need of read the bible because you kind of go okay theologically i understand sure the bible says it's through the word but experientially some of you are saying i don't know that i'm really growing in my salvation really growing in my understanding of god's word and yet i know i have read the word well there is a right way and I would say a wrong way to read the Word, and I think many people go about it the wrong way. We simply read the Bible, we close it, and we go on about our days. In fact, have you ever read the Bible, and while you're reading it, you're thinking about your to-do list? Or you read the Bible, and you have daydream throughout the whole thing, and you kind of get to the end, and you go, I have no idea, actually, what I just read. It's okay to be like, yep, I, I've done that, but what do you do at that moment? Well, better luck next time. Like, seriously, like, what do you do at that moment? Or do you go, all right, maybe I need to go a little bit slower. As as it was read earlier today uh, up on on the worship team, uh, Psalm 1-2, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The way we're to come to the Word is with great expectation. Why? Because the Spirit promises he works through the Word to give us truth. And so every time you take this word, the Spirit's promising, "I will give you truth." So how do we read it then? Do we read it quickly, We're top uh, left to right, top to bottom, close it, check the box? Well, see if you—I mean—is it a challenge? See if you can get truth in this. Like, how fast do we go? Or because we have the promise that the Spirit works to give us truth. We can slow down. We can meditate on the word. We can wrestle with it so that we do have all knowledge and all truth. So I encourage you to read the Bibles with the purpose of transformation. Read the Bible with the purpose of knowing Jesus is revealed through the power of the Spirit. Let us come into the word of God expectantly knowing That God is changing us. God is confirming the truth of His Son, Jesus. He's growing us in our salvation. And notice the promise that John gives in verse 24. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Our confidence in our salvation and our union with Jesus and the Father grows as the Spirit leads us in the truth of His Word. This is... This is why John then writes in verse 25, and this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. As we grow in our knowledge of the word through the power of the spirit, we understand our union, that the spirit and the father abide in us and that we abide in them and that we possess eternal life now. If you want assurance in your salvation, let the word abide in you. If you want to stand firm, unmoved by the siren calls of the Antichrist, we must be firmly rooted in the Word of God. If we're going to stand firm against the pluralistic landscape that we all face every day, here in America especially, it will be as we abide in the Word. Now, think how practical this is. Just think. We just left Lebanon where we ministered to many Syrians, some new believers now in Christ, and they've experienced great war because of their faith and where they live. And, and now they go back to Syria, where they've seen friends and family members have died. Some of them have been tortured because of their faith. What confidence do we have that they will continue on in their faith? What confidence do we have? Is it, is it because of how clever the team and I were? Is it because of how well we spoke, how eloquent that we were? No, it's because the Spirit of God dwells in them. That's why we go to give the Word. We give them the Word, knowing that then as they believe in Christ, the Spirit is in them. and We encourage them, keep reading the Word. Not so their confidence rests in us, but their confidence rests in the promises of God. That as they continue in the Word, the Spirit will continue to reveal Himself to them, and they will stand firm in Syria and in Lebanon. Think about it. How will you and I stand firm? We read last week in in 1 John 2, 15, 16, and 17, that the, the desires of the world and lust of our eyes, they all want to pull us away from following Christ. Well, how do we resist that? How do we stand firm when everything we turn on on TV or on the radio or wherever we're at is trying to draw us away from being satisfied in Christ? It's through the Word of God that abides in us in the teaching of the Spirit. Parents, think about this. How helpful is this to us? How instructive is this for us as we seek to shepherd our children? We read the Word of God with them trusting that as we read the Word with our children, the Spirit will work through the Word, that He will reveal Himself to them, and that they will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then when they believe that, what do we do? Great! Check the box! We're done! Like we did it, right? As parents, we crossed the finish line. No. Now we read the Bible with them each day and we encourage them to be in the Word because as they continue to read the Word, what's going to happen? The Spirit's going to keep working in them that they would know with greater understanding the very truth of God's Word. Why? Because that's what the Spirit promises He does. Think about it. When you're sharing the Gospel with an unbeliever, what's one of the best things that you can do? Share the Gospel with them. Share the Bible with them. Read the Bible with them. Why? Because you're not going to win them with your cleverness. You're not going to win them by beating them in an argument. Well, fine. He finally beat me. I guess Jesus is the Son of God. I'll finally believe. It doesn't work like that. The only reason someone believes is because the Spirit has worked and awoken their heart to the very grace of Jesus that, once they, that what they once saw as ugly, as horrible, that was once they disdained but now they love and they count as beautiful and they treasure because of the very grace of God through the word of God. Listen, if we're going to be a church that stands firm in the gospel, unwavering in our faith in Jesus, it will be as the word of God abides in us. And notice verse 27, the last words, the last two words, it's a command, abide in him i believe that in him is christ christ is the one who gives us the holy spirit and now i believe what what john is saying the application when you're in the word and the spirit is working in the word to reveal his son jesus christ the way we respond to that is by abiding in him meaning remaining in him so what that means is that the spirit is not only working So that we logically understand, okay, Jesus is the true Son of God. I understand how He fulfills prophecies. I understand why He came, why He had to be God, why He had to be man. I understand that. But also, so that He would increase our affections for Christ. So that we would treasure Him. So I think this abide in Him as the application of what the Spirit does through the Word is that we resound with an amen With a yes, we love Christ as we come to the end of reading God's Word each and every day. Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. How does that happen? It's as we meditate slowly on the very Word of God, trusting that as we do that, our hearts are going to be moved and our affections are going to be stirred, that we will treasure Christ more than life itself. I've done lots of funerals, um, Christians and non-Christians. There's probably four that stand out to me the most. Uh, One would be Bev Anderson. Many of you knew Bev. Uh, She was a faithful believer here for a very long time. Um, Loved Jesus Christ. The other one was my uncle. I didn't actually do this funeral, uh, but just being with him and watching the process. He died a couple years ago of pancreatic cancer cancer. That's right. Um, and then the two others was my grandma and my grandfather. And watching each of them as their bodies grew weaker, their spirits grew stronger in their faith in Jesus Christ. Now there was a wrestling at times, but in the end their, their hearts were growing stronger in their faith. In fact, my mom, or my grandma, she was on her deathbed. This is what she would say over and over and over again. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. Her body was barely functioning at that moment. Her body had grown much, much weaker. In the world eyes, she was weak. There's no strength here. And yet, from her heart came the words that were stronger than anything. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. How does she say that? How does she have, while her body is at war, her mind and her heart is at peace. Why? because she had abided in the word for over 70 years, and as she continued to work in the word, looking to see Jesus, understanding that Jesus is the Son of God, the Spirit has continued to work, to move her affections, so that now as she's dying, her last words are, treasure Christ above everything. I think that's what the proper interpretation of, remember the cross, remember the cross, remember the cross, to die is gain, to die is gain, to die is gain. And the way we come to that is not by clever arguments, not by churches having laser shows and smoke machines, not by having a coffee bar, although if Bill is here, no, he's not in here. I'm not opposed to a coffee bar. (laughs) Bill is trying to get me to have a coffee bar for quite some time. I I do like coffee. Um, But the way we stand firm the way we grow in Christ, the way we disciple others, the way that we die well is by abiding in Christ now. Letting His Word abide in us so that as our body weakens, our mind and heart strengthen because of what the Spirit has done over the years in His Word. So I encourage us, let us be a church that abides in the Word of Christ knowing His Spirit works in us, that we would know Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So I encourage you, as you go out today, hold your Bibles close. Take time every day to be in the Bible. And when you read, pray this. God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me through your Word. Help me to understand the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ that I would live for you, that I would know you, that I would share the gospel. And as we pray that prayer, trusting in him, reveal yourself to me. That is a promise he's already said. That's what he does through his spirit. So we can trust he will answer that. And we can trust that he will continue to work in our hearts. And by degree, by degree, by degree, we will grow stronger in our faith and treasure Christ all the more that we would abide in him, looking forward to the day that he will return. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to go ahead and ask the men to come forward, and we will pass out communion. Our Father, God, we thank you that you save us by your grace, and yet you don't leave us. You then anoint us with your Spirit, that we would grow in our understanding, grow in our Christ-likeness, that you would transform us, that we'd be made into the very image of your Son, God, I pray that we see that you do that primarily through your spirit in your word. God, help us to see that we don't need techniques and tactics and all these programs. What we need is your word. and We need to simply trust that your spirit will work each and every day in your word. May we know that. God, I pray for every person here. Help us to understand that simple truth. You save us by the grace of your Son, Jesus. You give us your Spirit that we would continue to know your Son is the one true Savior of the world and that only by faith in Him is there forgiveness of sins. There's adoption into your family. There is eternal life and that we will grow in that understanding more and more every day as we abide in your Word. God, we thank you for your word, the gift that you give to us. We thank you for salvation. In your your name, Jesus, amen.